for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you listen to our 2022 Elk Bros Live from Elk Camp podcast, you heard us dub it as the One More Step Hunt. So many opportunities that were just so close. So many encounters needing only one more step for somebody to close the deal. In the past, we've recorded that Elk Camp podcast after the last day of the hunt, which allows us to cover all of our encounters. But y'all, that wasn't the case this year. Our recording of the show took place on day nine of our 10-day hunt with one more day still to come. And like we've always said, it only takes a moment for everything to change. That night after recording the podcast, my plan was to hit Ratchet Ridge in the morning with Cody the Kid Kirkpatrick. And as we said goodnight, Cody looked at me and he said, Joe, it ain't over till it's over, which was followed by a fist bump as I looked him in the eye with every bit of confidence. And I said, buddy, we ain't done yet. And y'all, we weren't. During this hunt, there are going to be multiple learning moments and takeaways, thoughts, strategies, techniques, and possible failure points. Hopefully, some nuggets that I hope will help you on your next elk hunt. So, come on into camp, y'all. Sit down by the fire. And welcome to another Blue Collar Elk Hunting Special Edition of The Moment. He piled up. He was about to smell. No, don't, don't move. What a beautiful bull. Yeah, buddy. No shot. No. As an elk hunter, your success is not a matter of chance. It is a matter of choice. After successfully hunting elk for almost 40 years, I know that with every hunt, every one of us will get schooled by the very animals we chase. One blown encounter after another. But these are not failures, only learning moments. The goal of this show is to share my past hunts 
or an experience within a hunt and point out a lesson learned. That one nugget or realization that can help you to grow as an elk hunter. My name is Joe Julia. I'm an elk hunting coach and this is The Moment. I had started day one of this hunt with Cody Kirkpatrick and his dad, Kevin. Cody had won a hunt with the Elk Bros in a giveaway that we had, a contest, and he had been preparing for this hunt for months, man. I mean, he was so excited. He was pumped. Uh, he did all of our study work. He did our course with us. He worked with all the coaches, and now we were actually here, and on day one, oh my gosh, man, uh, we had the plan. It was our plan A. We went out, and that's when we first discovered that the area that we wanted to actually hunt had some of the most incredible blowdown. I'm not talking deadfall. I'm talking blowdown. We're talking about fully mature, fully limbed with pine needles, trees, 50, 16, 80, 90 foot tall that were just blown completely over on top of each other like pixie sticks. I mean, it made for five, six, seven, eight foot walls of trees on top of each other. I mean, it was, it was really unbelievable. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just figure, hey, it's day one. We can tough it out. We can get through it. In fact, we had a bull that bugled right where I thought it would that morning and everything that we had looked at, e-scouted, scouted got out there, the air was crisp it was cool in the morning it was where you could hear things for miles and I throw out um, some calls, I started out first all just like I do, I always y'all, I always start casting calls near to far, so I'm going to start with cow calls first thing so I'm just going to give a little light cow call and I'm going to wait and just let that marinate a second. Listen, I don't hear anything. Then what I do is I go through my grunt tube and I give a cow call that in early season, and here's the thing is like when we call it a cow call, there's also what I like to call bow calls. That's bull cow calls. And bulls cow call just like, or bull call, they mew just like the cows do. So a lot of times when I'm doing that mew through the tube, Bulls will respond to that either with a mew or with a chuckle or with a location bugle, but they'll respond to that. So I always go light first, then I go through through my tube with a call, and then I'm listening to that, and then I'm going to actually give a, a location bugle, just a nice, easy, you know, nothing that sounds, you know, I'm not throwing anything on the end of it, I'm not doing a whole lot of rasp, just a basic location bugle, nothing intimidating. So I throw this out, and sure enough, we get a bugle. And, you know, I take a look, I get a direction on it, and I tell the guys, let's go, man. I mean, this thing sounded like it was probably about 400 yards away um, because we actually were up on a ridge, and it was through the trees going down. And and I know from looking at my Onyx that I've got a park down below the trees, and it sounds like it's on the edge of that park down in there. So I'm like, let's go, man. we got to get the wind right, so let's, let's pound through this. And 
I mean, we did not get 20, 30 foot into the tree line when we hit this blowdown as we start going down. And it was like there was no place to go. I mean, we started to go this way. We climbed over. We tried going this way. And in probably what should have taken us maybe 10 minutes to get down through the trees and then drop down into the edge of this park, we didn't even get 30 yards, 40 yards in. And before I know it, we're basically retreating the way we came as much as we could trying to get back to the actual trail that we were on. And... I mean, it probably took us 30 minutes just to do that. Because once we get got in the middle of it, it was, like, so hard to find our way out of it. So <laughs> I was like, man, well, let's try to – let's get on the road and try to get around at it and see what we can do. And, of course, we're not able to get the wind right. We get in the area. Um, we got the thermals going the wrong way. The bull ends up – absolutely scenting us and just shuts up so on that day of the first hunt we decided okay let's let's go for plan b which was to go up on a ridge and go across to get into another area that i wanted to be up high when the animals were coming up that's you know kind of the deal um elk in this type of country and it always depends where you're at but in this country where we had a lot of high up down, um, in other words, we had a lot of slope and um, a lot of elevation, the elk were feeding down low and then they were coming up the, the sides of the ridges, working up, maybe crossing over to the top on saddles, coming up ridge lines. And that's generally how the elk are going to move when they're doing this. So I wanted to be up on top being able to hear them on the move or if they responded and then be able to move into those animals as they came up. Hopefully to be able to follow them to their either getting an encounter while they're coming up because we're close to their destination or trying to get in position to where once they did bed down, now we have a captive audience and we can work them. So this is our idea now. Well, as we get up on this ridge, in fact, trying to get up on the ridge because it was a, it was a west-facing slope and all the wet, which we found out later, all the west-facing and south-facing slopes and anything on the top of a ridge got hammered by this incredible wind event that came through that was like a nuclear explosion. That's the only thing, way I could describe it. I mean, uh, I could show you pictures of a ridge that were just completely just sheared down. Unbelievable. So, of course, I'm like, man, we've got to get through this. Come on, we can't let this beat us. It's our first day. So we are going up and down, under, over, climbing, walking along, jumping down on all of these trees. <laughs> and I, I believe Kevin later on said that I was doing a tree inventory of some kind, but... You know, they, they these guys were oh, they were such troopers, man. I mean, um, they both they both had um, walking sticks with them. Kevin was just I mean, nothing stopped that guy. And and I'm the type of person that you know, if you're going to hunt with me um, and we're going to move through stuff like this, look, I'm gonna do my best to get through it. Uh, and I'm really not going to, you know, even though in my mind I'm kind of like, oh, I hope these guys are making it okay and stuff like that, I'm not going to, like, look back and be worried or something. So I'm just letting them just do their thing, follow along as they're going. Well, 
the day, I mean, we actually get up to the top of this ridge, we fight this, we we find a great trail, we get on it, and then we hit, you know, blow down. And then we'd get around it, and then we'd hit blow down, and we'd get around it. And it was just, it was just incredible, man. So we actually ended up succumbing to it and trying to find a trail that we could actually get down and head back to camp without killing ourselves. So on that first day... <laughs> When we get back down, Cody notices that he feels something weird in his knee. Weird in his knee. So, um, you know, I mean, all of us, you know, you can have something like that. He didn't say a whole lot. And and I tell you, man, both these Kirkpatricks, these guys are tough as nails. And on the next day, when when Cody is with um, RC and I. We are hunting an area and we're moving into this and we're actually moving uphill going through an area and Cody goes, guys, man, he just said, my knee just locked up and he said, uh, I, you know, something's definitely wrong with my leg. And, and I can tell you, you know, from what we've already covered heading up and getting to this spot, for him to speak up at that time, man, there had to be something wrong. And he he's like, look, I, I don't want to mess y'all up. I mean, this is early in the hunt. So I'm going to go ahead and just head back to the to T-Rex, the man. And you guys go do your thing. I'll be down there when you guys get down. Well, we commenced to hunt, RC and I. We get into a bull. We have things kind of happen, things that didn't happen. And we start heading back. And when we get back... Cody still hasn't quite gotten to the vehicle and come to find out that his knee was messing up on him so much that he got really, really concerned. And it was mainly on the downhills. So he was actually getting down on his rear end and sliding to get down in the steep areas. And... He was really baby in that leg and had to use, you know, whatever he could, grabbing trees just to get down to the road. And we catch up to him in the dark down there, and, and we get back, and, and we hear about this, and we're like, man, you know, we're going to have to get that leg checked out. So on the next day, um, Cody and his dad planned on heading into Taos, New Mexico, which, I don't know, is probably... Um, about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, uh, drive for them to get there. And, um, so he does. And he heads over and we hunt that day. And when he gets back, um, he finds out that basically he's torn a meniscus. And, you know, they've told him that really there's not much they could do he's going to probably need an mri at a later time and it's best for him if he wants to hunt you know the, the lady was like go ahead and hunt you just need to uh, suck it up and take some pain meds and and put a brace on that thing so it can give you some support and that's all you needed to tell cody but the thing was it absolutely changed the way that you know, Cody was going to be able to hunt. In fact, this dude is so phenomenal, man. As they are coming back, um, him and his dad decide that they're going to get a hunt in in that afternoon evening. So there was an area. We are actually real, real high up. We're at about 10-5 um, where our camp is, and we're hunting at like 11, 11-5, those types of, of uh, altitudes. And there was an area in the lower country that... 
um, I had kind of talked about and scoped out because it reminded me a lot of an area that I really like to hunt. And, you know, you're going to have elk as well in this, this low country. And when I had scouted early in the season, it had something that really caught my attention. It had great grass because this area was like a former burn. And it had this line of oaks, and all of these oaks were only so tall. In some areas, they were, I don't know, six, seven foot great for um, game to hide in, uh, and some of it was a little bit shorter. But as I went through this, I noticed that there were acorns in a lot of this area. So great grass, acorns, an area where they had good um, ability to hide without people seeing them that easily. But there was only really two problems. The first problem was there wasn't a whole lot of water. The animals had to travel mm, a long distance to get to water. The other main thing was when I scouted, I just wasn't seeing tracks. Like, I found some lone bull tracks. Now, this is early in the season, prior to the hunt, so we're talking early August. I'm finding bull tracks. Now, in August, when I find bull tracks, that's great. That means there's bulls in the area. But the problem is, is once they start to go into um, that changing into the rut and getting set up for the rut, they're actually going to move and start moving to look for cows. So where you find those bulls in the summer is not where you're going to find them later on at the beginning of the rut and what I call rut transition phase. So... I was happy to see that, but what bothered me was I was not seeing any sign of a resident group of cows in the area, and that was a big red flag to me. Now, I thought that they would be coming in there later on once they got pushed down from the higher country because this this area at 6,500 maybe, right around there or 7, was really at the base of the mountains, of the type of mountains in high country that we were hunting in. So I thought later on it'd be good, and I had shared this country with um, with the guys. Well, Cody decided that him and his dad would stop there, and when they do... They're just, I mean, Cody's in a knee brace, he's taking pain meds, he's not wanting to really go very far, so he just goes a little ways from the truck, and, you know, he starts throwing out some cow calls, and I think he even throws out a bugle, I'm not sure, I wasn't there, it's kind of like as I hear the story, but as he's doing this, his dad back at the truck had noticed kind of a pile of trash not really trash like paper trash and stuff it was like how people throw things out that they no longer want from their garage or their truck or something like that and when he looks in this pile he finds a like a three inch ratchet a really nice size ratchet in good condition so (laughs) he's actually over there and he's taking this ratchet and he's going (laughs) back and forth with it and uh as he's doing this, Cody's over there and he's calling on the other side of the truck away from his dad. And, you know, Cody's hearing this noise and he's like, what the heck is that noise? You know, this <laughs> and he looks back and there's his dad with this ratchet just working it back and forth. And Cody looks at him like, really? And dad, dad looks at him and he's like, oh, you know, and he just kind of stops. Well... The crazy thing is, is that sound of the ratchet, and we didn't realize it at this point, but guys, um, the story continues later on when these guys go into Colorado, but 
a bull and a cow actually come in to Cody, and whether or not it was his calling or his dad's ratchet has been the debate of our elk camp. So we have dubbed this area where they were at, Ratchet Ridge, and Cody is not ready when this comes in. This cow comes in, comes by him, and he could have actually shot this cow at, I don't know, 15, 18 yards, but he sees the bull back behind it chasing the cow, and everything that ensues in there he's not really ready for it and the bull wins them and goes out of there but it's just this great story and and kevin is an incredible storyteller and he creates his own story for ratchet ridge but just to give you a side note they actually tried this ratchet in colorado and was calling in bulls with the ratchet now their thought is is that you know back and forth actually sounds like a bull raking a tree that's the only thing that we could think of because he's just like <laughs> and, and so the ratchet might be the new uh, elk call of the century but anyway so he, they had done that and basically what cody was stuck doing and, and this guy would still go out with people he'd still try hunting but you know, we basically had to change where he was hunting and how he was hunting. And um, so him and I had started the hunt together. And then he hunted with Manon Louise. He hunted with Gilbert and RC. And so he was moving from coach to coach on, on that and getting a chance to hunt with the different elk bros. And after we did the podcast, I thought it was only fitting that him and I would end the hunt together. So that was the plan on day 10. We had so much stuff that happened in those first nine days. I had called in bulls for every one of the, the guys there. Um, you know, Luis missed a bull in an area that I brought one in. Thank God. And you can probably hear about that story in our podcast uh, previous to this. And um, we had a bull that I called in for Gilbert. Him and I got on. A group of elk and got into it and ended up bringing a bull into him and this bull's only 12 yards away from Gilbert and some real real thick stuff and just needed I mean he could see his neck he could see the head and he's just waiting for this bull to take one more step he's at full draw waiting for it to happen when a calf comes up about two foot from me and blows up the whole situation that happens it happens from a nano we have a bull at 25 yards again one more step so thus the name of that hunt being the one more step hunt well where we had set camp guys was in some of the most beautiful elk country you could ever imagine but after all of those encounters that we had had um and with them being kind of far and few between and having to really work so hard just for the ones that we got, I decided that I was going to make a change. Because, you know, elk hunting is a game of odds, y'all. The more encounters you have, the better your chances of, you know, capitalizing on that, especially if you're efficient, you know, in closing the deal. So the more the encounters, the better the odds. And what I was thinking is... You know, um, think I had actually gone down on one of the days near the Ratchet Ridge country, and that's what we're going to call it for all intents purposes in this story. And I had gone down there and actually had some bulls that responded bugling back. I got in on some, 
Um, I had other animals blow that situation up. I had one when it happened that wind blew it up for me. But we were getting elk to respond down in the country there. So my thought was, look, if pretty's not working, let's go ugly. And I was going to go down on the last day and put all of my eggs in that basket and hunt the type of country that I was so used to hunting. So... After the podcast, Cody and I hit the rack, and we're up bright and early, jumping in the truck to drive down to this country so that we're there about an hour before gray light. And as we go in, and just as we're getting into the forest road where we want to go, my plan is is that, well, this forest road kind of cuts this territory in half. Cody had been on Ratchet Ridge that down on what I will say on the lower west side of the road, I had been on the upper east side of the road between the road and heading towards some of that area I had scouted before with the oak brush. So what I plan on doing is I found a ridge that you could actually take a road up onto. It was kind of a little squirrely road to get up there. And my plan was to get up there, drive out, walk out on some of those ridges, and then just do a little bit of cast calling from that to see if I could get a response in that nice, cool morning air, kind of calling across. Because the best thing to do when you are calling is you want to call so that your calls will bounce off of walls or go over an area so they really get a lot of use out of the call so that they just really um, go a distance when you cast them. Because in that morning air, when a bull responds, I mean, you can hear them from a mile away. I mean, it just really floats in the morning air. So that was my thought. But as we get there, I find out that this area that is about an hour away from our camp had got pounded by rain the night before. So when I turn to go up this road, man, I'm like throwing it into four-wheel drive. We're sliding up it. We're going around these curves. And it's, a you know, it, it, it was a little bit shaky going up this, you know, because you don't want to get stuck or go off the side or anything like that. So... I, I actually get up on top of the ridge where I wanted to, and we kind of just stop, park the truck, and we're letting everything just quiet down. Just let it just settle back down. Now, I want you to understand that this area where I was going to gets a lot of traffic. There are a lot of off-grid homes in the area. There's some... Um, Areas of homes, um, communities actually, not too far away that are very, very rural communities, but they do a lot of driving on these forest roads. They do a lot of driving on ATVs. These elk see people, hear people. You can hear a highway, especially in that early morning air. The highway's probably two, two and a half miles away, but I could hear cars almost like they were only a few hundred yards. So, you know, I'm not that worried about the the noise of my truck freaking these animals out. But still, we kind of let things settle down. And I did some uh, cast calling as I worked down the ridge. Nada. And I mean, I was really, really thinking that I was going to get an animal that was going to respond to us there. 
and it didn't happen. Well, I'm I'm going back, and as I'm going back to the truck, I mean, the road is muddy as heck, man. So uh, I get to the truck, I open my door, and I'm trying to shake the mud from my boots. And I look down at my truck in the mud at my fresh track down there. And, guys, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever watched the movie The Grinch. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. But that was me at that moment, man. I mean, I got that look on my face like I got an idea. (laughs) For Cody, it was probably an awful idea. So we'll just say, just like the Grinch, it was an awful, wonderful idea. My idea was I didn't hear anything up there, but we knew that that Ratchet Ridge area was really... You know, all along that forest road that, that ran north-south and on the, on the east, I'm sorry, on the west side of that road was a lot of drainages with a ridge at the top. So they had these finger ridges that went down from the road, um, all the way as you went along these miles of this forest road. They just kind of went. And what we realized is the elk were not really staying on one of the ridges per se to travel. They were actually cross-ridging it and just kind of at a certain point going over one into another, um, finding feed, checking for water, um, you know, looking for other elk, doing elk things, man. So my thought, my wonderful idea was, man, if if I'm making that kind of fresh track, if that rain was that hard, was every track that we were going to see, if it was an old track, you you were definitely going to know it. And every fresh track was going to be so evident because of the mud down there. So my thought was, is I was going to basically, we were going to head to Ratchet Ridge, and I was going to use that first ridge, and I was going to just go up and down ridges until I caught a fresh track of the elk working cross ridges, and then basically jump on that track, man. Get Be like a, a dog on a bone and, and, and really work that track and get into those animals. That was what I was going to do because... All right, so just so that I'm going to step back a little bit to make sure that you understand the time that we're doing this. This is September 10th, and I don't know about you guys if if you hunted this season or not, but elk were really, really quiet. Now, down in this area, in early morning, we were able to get some responses. I was a little disappointed, so I didn't hear, so I'm figuring, okay... Maybe these guys have started to get a little bit more quiet. Maybe I'm just not in the area where I can hear them. But maybe if I get on track, I can do that and maybe throw out some, start doing some, you know, cow calling as I'm going. And and maybe, you know, get one to come in to me from the different areas. You know, just kind of what I call chum as I'm going along. Well, so that's what we did. We drove down and I started to work down the ridge. And sure enough... We start hitting some, every now and then we hit like a single bull track. I was real sketchy about that track, not feeling like it was as as new as I wanted it to be. So we just kept working and we kept going down the ridge. And and I want you to, my goal of going, another reason for my goal and going ugly like this was, again, because I knew Cody 
was having difficulty as far as side healing, even with that brace on his knee. So I, I really didn't want to destroy the guy, right? So that was in my thought process. And that's where this became an awful wonderful idea because as we get down to the bottom of this particular ridge, I can, I, I'm looking at my Onyx and I can see how it kind of levels and goes down and we should be able to drop off, you know, heading towards the south, drop off this ridge in a pretty smooth drop off area and then go through the bottom of one and then come up on the next ridge. And, and we would actually be able to check this bottom area as we were going across and see if anything was moving through there. Well, y'all, um, Sometimes those uh, contour lines, they lie to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And, man, the area that I dropped down into to get there turned out to be just a, a hairy little um, drainage just to get out of it. We had logs that were cutting across, and we had branches, and we had to side hill a little bit. It was like everything that I didn't want to take Cody through. And at one point, as we got down the bottom, I, I just turned around and told him, I was like, sorry, dude, man. I mean, I just really felt bad, and, you know, of course Cody you know he's like no let's do this you know so we drop off and we didn't find the group of tracks I didn't find any cow tracks or anything like that any any small herd so we cut in we're going across and we're basically going to hit the point of the next ridge and start working up that well as we're going up we hit some tracks and the track and on the side of this ridge and it's on the north side of it does that sound familiar? You know, it's in a little bit more shaded area. There's more trees over there. There's there's um, uh, grass down in the bottom. And what we find is basically where these animals have been bedding down. And the track, you could see it in the leaves. You could see it all over. We were finding droppings, which is something we just didn't really find a lot of on this hunt. So we're kind of excited, man. But the tracks are going everywhere because once the elk had had gotten up from the bed now they're in feed mode and that's one way that when you're tracking animals you can tell the difference from when they're actually got a destination in mind and they're moving to that destination to when they are feeding or where they're actually looking to bed or something like that just by the style of the track in other words like where we found we actually found elk beds right we could see you know where they had cleared and where they had laid well we could smell the urine we could see the droppings this was a bedding area but after they got up 
you could see tracks going in every direction and the tracks are like going up to scrub oak leaves and they're backing up or they're going into grass and then they're moving to the side there is no real rhyme or reason other than they're looking for something to eat and they're going to the next thing and the herd is just kind of moving with all of this organized chaos of looking for food so what we had to do was kind of extend out on different sides until we started to see their track moving from this area. And that's what it did. It slowly started to move away. and But still, as they're moving, they're feeding. So some animals are going up a little bit. They're getting into some scrub oak here. They're going down, getting into some grass there. And it's really still to, hard to figure out exactly where are they going to break out to when they're trying to get to a destination. So Cody and I kind of split up and you almost start fringing this. And then as you see a track head out, you start to follow that track. And so I did that with tracks. He did that with tracks. And what started to happen was we were both moving in the same general direction. Was And basically these animals were moving up the north side of this ridge heading up to the top of it but they were just moving along the north side where there was a lot of scrub oak um, and there was different food there for them so um, they're moving up and we're following oh well at the time that we hit that track it was probably between 6 30 and 7 I mean really early early in the morning and we're basically trying to decipher the track. We're working it and working it out. So he would go on it. And then he would lose, you know, which direction a, a particular track was going. Well, I would hit a track and I would just start following that track. So that's how we basically just kept moving. He would lose a track. I'd like over here. Come on, follow me. He'd get it, get on another track. I'd lose it. He's like over this way. And we are just being real patient. Now I'll tell you this. Anytime you were following track of a herd that's moving, you have to look in every direction at all times when you're moving through. And what you're looking for is you're looking for a rump. You're looking for a horizontal line. You're looking for an ear twitch, anything. And don't get caught up just because it's moving in one direction, only look in that direction because that's the way that animal's going at that point. But the rest of the herd could be going in a different direction and all of a sudden they turn and they go that direction and you're caught up looking one way when they're actually over on the side of you, okay? Well, as we're doing this, it's perfect, man. Um, we've got the wind still falling from the thermals. Uh, it's nice and still that morning, so we're not worried about wind. We have everything in our favor. We're just basically just really running down these tracks and trying to figure out where these elk are going. So we're moving and moving. We do this for, I don't know, man, it, well, <laughs> we do it till it tops out. And now they are actually moving in basically a line. There's not all this meandering. So we have elk that, and still, they're not all lined up exactly with each other. You have some moving a little bit higher, some a little lower. So they're still like grabbing a little piece of feed as they're moving along. They're just not like in a hurry and all lined up behind each other on any particular trail. That's not how this area was. It wasn't like a defining trail. But here is the thing. Anytime we did lose the track, 
what we would do is actually look for a path of least resistance. Where is it in here that we would go if we wanted to get from here to there? And so we would start to do that, and sure enough, we would pick up the track again where those animals would hit that path of least resistance. So that's just something to keep in your mind. Well, we break out on top finally, and as we break out on top, it's like 945. And so we're on the top of a ridge that's probably only a few hundred yards wide, and we go across it, and as we go across it, the tracks drop down into the next drainage, right? And I look at Cody and I look at my watch and I was like, man, it's 945. I'm like, these guys, take a look at this. So we have a large drainage in front of us. It's 945. They've just come from an area this morning. They've been traveling and feeding all morning. They finally came and crossed over the top of here. And at 945, we have track dropping down into this other drainage. I said, Cody, they are bedded down in this drainage. So basically, I figured we have done what we had been trying to do the rest of our hunt. We were in an area where we most likely have a captive audience very, very close. So I told him, man, I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to come over here and set up. Now let's talk about the setup. And in a second here, uh, when I do the scenario, I'm actually going to play for you the actual scenario that I recorded while I was on the side of that hill. Even though you're watching the fire right now and you're seeing all this, I'm going to actually pause the fire and the story here in a few minutes and I'm going to I'm going to actually play the scenario I used for this spot where I did the setup, all right? So that's yet to come. So what I did was I dropped down off of the top of that ridge and this ridge is kind of real muddy, sandy type area. This area where we're at, there's not a whole lot of grass. It's more dirt on this particular where it was south facing and where it was open. So I dropped down off the side. And the reason I wanted to drop off the side was I did not want to be on the top where I'm silhouetted. And most of these animals, if they start moving up near a side are are going to come to a certain point and start to angle up. So I just kind of dropped off to where um, down below me at about, I'd say about 35, 40 yards was the bottom. What happened was it kind of sloped down fairly steeply and it hit this sharp drainage like a ditch that went up real quick slope um, for about 10, 12 feet to another very, very flat ridge that ran parallel to the one that I was on, but much farther down below than the one I was on. Um, probably about a 60-yard shot to the top of the flat part of that ridge down there. So I'm set up, and I look around, I knock an arrow, I put my bow uh, down on the side where it's accessible with an arrow knocked on it, and I'm, I've got a pine tree to my back. I'm in the area where I have shade from these pine trees to break up my silhouette. I've got stuff behind me to break up my silhouette. And I grabbed a stick only about, and you'll see it, you'll see me here in a minute using it. It was only about three foot long. It was a nice uh, solid stick. And that was going to be my rake stick. So 
the scenario was this. I was basically going to just throw out some cow calls. And we were having a lot of success saying with low audible noises, with breathing noises, with invitation chuckles. We weren't really getting anything from um, bugling. So I found that I was getting more responses. Now, the responses that I was getting from elk weren't bugles coming back. It would be just something like, oh, 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 and that's it. Or just even twice, oh, oh, just like that, man. Or, you know, just little chuckles. What I did was I, I set up and, and I started to do the scenario. And guys, here's the scenario that I did. So I've just done this scenario and, you know, I'm letting it marinate a little bit in between. So I'm doing those, those low sound, um, you know, I'm doing the pants. I'm, I'm doing, uh, just little light chuckles and, and the cow calls. And all of a sudden, man, I, I'm, I'm, it's not even five minutes into this and I catch movement on that flat ridge down below me. And when I look down, there is a cow about a good 90 yards away coming up that ridge running towards me. And I'm like, man, and, and look, this is the, the morning of day 10, the last day of the hunt. And if that cow comes to me, I'm taking a cow. So I grab my bow, I get it, I put it up, my diaphragm's in my mouth and everything, and as I'm watching this cow, I catch more movement, and I look behind the cow, and there is a bull chasing the cow. Now, here is what I'm reading into the situation is, this cow is like, she's got a bull that really um, is trying to you know, he's at that phase where he's trying to gather a cow. And this is his cow as far as he's concerned. And now all of a sudden his cow is like, no, I think I, I think I might have a better suitor up here on the hill because she hears me and she hears these other cows. And so she's figuring that there is a better prospect up there. So she's coming to it, man. And this bull is like, no, you don't. And he's literally running behind her. Well, she comes up that slope drops off that drop off into that small drainage and comes right up towards me and crosses by me about 30 yards well the bull the bull is hauling butt to catch her and when he comes off oh my gosh i mean this was probably the best thing that could happen for me because it really made me laugh for a second the bull hits that drop off and loses his footing and faiths plants it 
10 foot down, 11 foot down in the bottom of this drain. Just, whoa! I mean, I'm like, oh my God, man. And so he gathers himself and then comes up. He's directly below me, coming straight at me. I have a frontal. And he comes to, and he's going to follow this cow. And as he comes up, he comes up and stops. I didn't have to stop him. I'm getting ready to stop him. Now, I want you to be with me in what's happening in my head on this. Because one thing that I haven't explained in this story is, yes, I have this bull and I've got my bow. And as soon as I saw that cow coming up, I'm at full draw, right? Um, I'm already pulling because I know that this bull is going to follow and everything's getting ready to happen. So all of this stuff that in nine, ten days of hunting is about to change in literally 40 seconds, right? So on this, prior to this hunt, you know, I have always for, I mean, this is my 40th season on this hunt. And prior to this, on my whole life, I've been an instinctive bare bow shooter. Yes, I, I've always shot a compound my whole life, but I've always done it with fingers and I've never used sights. So when you've done that for 39 years, now I'm using what, what we refer to as my nuclear bow because this is a bow that, um, if you follow the show that I started a journey with, um, over a year ago with a friend of mine buying this for me and because it's so short limbed, the axle to axle, you know, I usually to shoot fingers have to shoot something 42 to 44 inches axle to axle. Well, this bow's only 34 inches, man. So, uh, everybody told me I couldn't shoot it with fingers, that the pinch would be too bad, that I risk rolling it off the cam. So I was like, all right, look, I've been telling everybody you got to try new things. So I was going to try something new. I was going to actually go through the whole process of learning to shoot a bow, using a release, and doing all these things, man. And <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this uh, it has been an adventure because I took something that was fairly simple and I complicated it. And to get so that that process was even close has taken me i mean hours and hours and shooting and shooting and changing and testing and different things because i i didn't want to use a pin y'all so i i went with something called an easy v and an easy v um basically it looks like a sight but it's not a pin it has just that it has a v um and you use that v more I guess instinctively, but yet, um, all you have to do is place the kill zone in the V. Uh, so if you, if you look up and you want to learn more about that, just it's E, the letter E, the letter Z, um, it's an easy V, just all simple letters like that. And so this is what I'm using, but you know, I've been shooting instinctive my whole life. Now with that easy V, in order to have a consistent and solid anchor point, which Using a release was the toughest thing in the world for me because I've always forever in my life pulled to my nose, looked down my arrow, and released. Well, this whole thing of finding this point, I ended up using a kisser button that went in the corner of my mouth and a Bomar nose button. And between those two, I found a way to really solidify my anchor. But when 
I see this bull, and I'm at full draw, and that bull's coming up looking at me. And when he goes and turns broadside, y'all, I went instinctive, man. I mean, I looked at my kill spot, and I'm getting ready to squeeze off when I have to go, no, man, no, Joe, no. Whoa, wait a second. Slow down. You've got to put everything in. you got to get that kisser button. Look through. Place. Squeeze, right? Well, by the time I go through that process and I go to squeeze, the bull jumps forward to chase the cow, and I end up hitting about, I don't know, 8 or 10 inches further back than what I want to. Well, when I do that, though, the arrow goes through him, just drives through. He feels that, turns, and runs back down to the very same spot that he just fell in and is trying to go up that hill, but he is hurting bad so he goes down he stands up like if i was standing up so at this point my first shot was at 30 yards now he's at what i figure to be around 50 55 yards so i have a perfect kind of quartering uh, but it's not the quartering away like when they're standing on their feet i have a shot at his onside rib to drive straight through his chest and I released and the arrow goes through him so fast uh, it just flies through on the other side he gets to the top and he he goes about he walks I don't know probably about 50 yards 60 yards and is just standing there and I'm watching man I, I know that this bull is hit hard and he's just standing there and I've done my bugling you know when I first hit him you know just to confuse him a little bit and Cody comes over to me and I'm like he's right there he's right there and I watched and then all of a sudden he I see the feet go up I hear the death moan and the celebration was on man I mean it was just so awesome man that after on the tenth day of a hunt that was just so so tough and so hard and with cody being with me and the only thing that would have been better is if cody would have actually taken that shot himself man um that was 2022 that was for me uh in my 40th season in such a tough hunt with everything that was going it was just really really awesome man it was just something that I felt so good about and you know the fact that Cody got a chance to be there um, was huge now let's talk about some of the learning moments some of the thoughts some of the strategies and the techniques you know because one thing that I want everybody to realize I mean we talk about being a grinder we talk about grinding about going and going and going look y'all I'm not able to tell you how many times in 40 seasons it's happened to me to get an animal last day, last hour. I mean, it, in fact, Chav and I actually killed, uh, both killed a bull on last day, last hour together that ensued to be like a 12-hour pack out by the time we were done. And so when I tell you that, you've got to understand that all the work, all the time and prep, all the effort that you're doing is really about seconds of an encounter. And then what you do with those seconds of an encounter, how you finish, you know, that's, that's everything that is 
all wrapped up into that just moment, that small moment. And I want you to know that it can change so, so fast. I mean, think about this. I hunted for nine days and everything changed in 40 seconds. The the second learning moment that I want to give to you is that when we actually were going to pack this animal out, as soon as I knew the animal was down, I'm already, I'm pulling out my Zolio and I'm sending messages out to the guys um, because the crew all then shows up to help me get this animal out. And access, we actually, there was um, a, an ATV access road on the top of the ridge above where I killed this one. But in order to get to it, you had to go through private property for just a small corner. So the mafia, Manano and Luis, were the first ones on site. And, you know, they're, you know, texting me through Zolio that, you know, that it's that it's private to get on there. So they were going to go talk to the owner, which they did. And they got permission to cross through his corner and come all the way down on the ridge. So really, man, it was only, gosh, I don't know, 100, 150 yards that we had to get the animal out and get it up to those guys so that they could get it out and you know they show up from the top well gilbert and rc found another entrance coming into it from below from the highway down below and so gilbert ends up hiking up from the bottom and the mafia came from the top and man i tell you what it was a great celebration um but my point that i wanted to make is is that Elk can be found in the places you never expect because when I'm waiting for this bull to drop, I can literally hear voices from a house that was probably three quarters of a mile from us or a half mile from us. And I mean, I could hear those voices and these elk had to have been bedded just right below this property from the the area that they ran from. So, and here I'm hearing the highway down there. I mean, literally hearing cars on the highway. So just because you have those kinds of things like that, don't think that elk aren't there because elk are so smart. They adapt to go to the areas that they think they're most safe. And some of those areas literally are hundreds of yards away from a road or a highway. And people drive by them all the time. Probably the other thing, the other thought was that you always have to adapt to take advantage of what each situation gives you. The rain that was really causing us to have a hard time to travel was really the trick here. It set it up so that the tracks that we were going to find was going to be fresh track. And always, y'all, when you're doing things, you got to consider time of day, time of year, and those elk behavior strategies. Because I looked at what the time was before I ever dropped in here and realized that these boogers had bedded down because they were moving from their nighttime bed to their daytime bed. They fed along the way, and they were going to drop into another area that they felt like they had the best defensive position, the best shade, you know, because it was hot down here on a lot of these days, the best shade to regulate their body temperature, to have thermals for them. And so that time of day really gave that away. And because it's early in the season, I'm using 
low strategies, low um, vocal strategies that these guys aren't hearing all the time. Sure, they're hearing hunters that are, you know, doing the same old rodeo, that are bugling from every ridge. And really, honestly, from that high point that I bugled from in that morning, they absolutely had to hear it. And if they would have responded, I would have absolutely heard them respond. But they didn't. And now they didn't respond with a bugle. That bull could have most definitely chuckled. He could have most definitely given a little grunt or a little growl. But at the distance I was, there's no way that I would have heard that. So there could have been that kind of response. And early in the season, you have to listen for those kind of responses, man. You have to listen for those noises. And sometimes, as the case was when I was calling in the bull for Gilbert, it was just a little... That's all it was, man. Just a little growl was all the only sound that that bull made. And the cows were staying fairly silent because they all had each other. It was a smaller group. And when they can see each other and they know where each other are, they don't have to be that vocal. So you have to kind of match up to what's going on for their behaviors at the time. As far as how I call, uh, you got a chance to hear that you got to hear the the scenario you'll see a little bit of the setup i kind of described that a little bit so hopefully you picked up some nuggets from this hunt but i hope the thing that you really picked up from this hunt is no matter how tough it is you have to stay persistent you have to keep working at it you have to keep grinding because y'all one day five days seven days nine days all changed in 40 seconds. Thanks for listening. Remember, keep dreaming of the screaming. Keep believing and achieving. But most of all, keep grinding. We'll see you next time. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels this course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you backwards through each step and level allowing you to see visualize understand and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead the next step the next thought process the next success because y'all you've already been there you know what it looks like by tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, 
Invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.